Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, who I've worked since 1994. And as always in this podcast, I'm traveling across both Carolinas, seeking out some of my favorite sports stars and asking them to tell the real stories behind their rise to iconic status. Now, for this episode of Sports Legends, we're back in our podcast studio in Charlotte, and I'm delighted to be sitting across from Armani Edwards, who as a quarterback at App State had the sort of college football career most people can only dream of. Now 35 years old, Armani Edwards was a once-in-a-generation talent at Appalachian State, a dazzling quarterback who could run and throw and who led the Mountaineers to two national championships and a legendary upset of Michigan in 2007 that had all sort of quirkiness that we'll get into today. Now Franklin Hummond, Armani Edwards takes off and is caught from behind, but what a throw from James Franklin and Armani Edwards almost found daylight. The Mountaineers had a remarkable run of three straight FCS national titles in the mid-2000s, and Edwards was the very biggest star for the last two of those. In 2010, Edwards was a third-round NFL draft pick by the Carolina Panthers, who decided to switch him from quarterback to wide receiver. That didn't work out well at all, and caused Edwards to experience what he calls now, quote, a lot of dark times, unquote. We'll talk about all that. Armani Edwards also played for several years in the Canadian Football League. He now lives in Charlotte with his family. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of the Sports Legends Coffee Table Book at sportslegendsbook.com. And now here's Armani Edwards next from Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Armani, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great to uh, catch up a little bit off the air, and I, I know people are very interested in what what you're up to now. So give us a little sense just sort of of you, your family, why you ended up settling in Charlotte and so on. I'm from Greenwood, South Carolina, so only about three hours away. So you know, once I was drafted here in Charlotte, uh, me and my now wife, uh, which my girlfriend at the time, we just fell in love with the area. It felt like home and we was you know far away from home, but close enough to visit and have visitors and that's why we fell in love with the place. Tell us about your children. Our son is about to be 12 next month, and we have a 15-year-old daughter. She's be, she'll be 16 in September. And do they play sports? Yes. Um, our daughter, she's never been really interested in sports up until now. Uh, she uh, wants to get involved in track, so we're going to you know, put her in, um, on the track team this year. And our son, of course, only likes football. You know, I try to get him in other sports. Um, he just can't find the interest, but he loves football. And he's, uh, you, I think you mentioned he's playing flag right now. Uh, that- yes, they recently finished up their flag uh, football season. Um, they won the, the championship, um, so he's pretty excited about that. Was he a quarterback? Uh, he played uh, wide receiver and um, defensive back. You know, he, he never saw me play quarterback, so he's only seen me play receiver, so. That's right. Yeah, I guess that, that's true because he would have seen you in the in the CFL mainly. He was born once we got here in Charlotte when I played here, but he was a little baby. So it was our daughter who who's always seen me um, play. Uh, we had her when we was in college. So yeah. nice. 
Well, uh, you are a, a legend in these parts, but even more so in Boone, North Carolina. I have two sons who currently attend App State right now. And, of course, the legend of Armani Edwards is still uh, alive and well in Boone. How often do you get back to App State? Uh, it hasn't been often um, ever since I played in the CFL. So, um, But I was able to make um, two games last year. So that was the most I've made, I think, since I went to Canada huh. in a year. So it was uh, it was great. Um, that, yeah, I was at the game, um, the Hail Mary play. Oh, the um, very the, – that was their – College big, game. Yeah, yeah the, the big one of the season when they caught it on the last play or yes, whatever. Yes, sir. Oh. I was at that one, and I can't remember – who they played the last time um, I was there. I want to say it was James Madison, if I can remember correctly, but I was able to make both of those games. Nice. Well, we'll get into a lot of your App State career, but let's go ahead and start off with one of the headline moments and talk about the Michigan game. Uh, A game that people, it's 16 years ago now, and to App State fans, it still seems, I think, like it's yesterday. I think one time we were speaking about this for a, an interview several years ago, and you told me that you had never been on a plane before that game? <laughs> Not at all. That was that was my first plane trip, so didn't know what quite to expect. Um, a little afraid, nervous, but you know, once the plane took off and got up there, if I can remember, um, I want to say I did go to sleep. Now, uh, let's talk about the lead up for it before you we get into the game. Um, what was it like? You guys were coming off a national championship. Nevertheless, a huge underdog going to a place where 109,000 people would be. What was the lead up to it? And did you think as you guys were over the summer in the weight room or whatever that you were going to have a chance? Uh, so this started before the summer. Um, it's um, a two-week program that we do in uh, – early off season, what we call winter gym. So that's shortly, I want to say it's in February at the time. And we have to be up 5 a.m. And we got extreme workouts. It's um, a circuit that we have to do. And I think after day one or day two, you know, coach, he always gives us a speech after every practice, some kind of motivation. And just that day, he announced that uh, we were playing Michigan and everybody was hyped, you know, mm-hmm. everybody yelling, uh, just just excited. So we knew, you know, early on in the year who we had. And, you know, after after that, uh, we come back for summer workouts. Um, our strength coach, Coach Dillman at the time, he literally played the fight song, Michigan fight song, <laughs> on repeat in the uh, weight room for the entire summer. How'd that make you feel? You know, that irritated uh, everybody. You know, we so we went from being excited to play them to, you know, we're we're getting mad now. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they're they're pumping you up. They're playing the Michigan fight song, getting you all angry. You get on that plane and go to Michigan. And this is supposed to be one of those games that the big schools schedule uh, to 
just kind of beat up on somebody, right? I mean, to beat up on a quote little school, even though App State is is not a little place, but in the pregame, what did it feel like? So, want to go back a little bit, um, a week or two um, left before we was going there. You know, we started facing injuries. Um, I got hurt myself. Um, our center, our starting center, um, an upperclassman, he got hurt and wasn't able to play in the game at all. So we have our backup center. And um, the week before that game, I wasn't able to practice um, at all. What was wrong with you? I had a um, sprained AC joint in my throwing shoulder. So I think it was great too. And leading up to that, we had other injuries, but uh, what a lot of people don't know as well, we had a severe thunderstorm that came, you know, two, three days before that game. So we didn't really get to practice at all that week. But at the same time, um, when we was watching film, um, offensively, we saw that they were having extreme trouble with the spread. You know, when Ohio State was spreading them out or any other team that was a spread offense spreading them out, they had trouble covering because, you know, Michigan is a huge team, but um, their linebackers are more, you know, for the eye formation, stopping the run. And so that that got our confidence uh, building up even more once we saw that. And, and leading up to it, uh, once we got there, um, before we even went to the hotel, our coach immediately took us to the stadium to let everybody walk around and see it. Um, they played um, LSU, I think two years before that. So the upperclassmen, you know, they're familiar with, you know, hostile environments, playing big schools. But our coaches were, you know, so experienced at the time, they understand that we got guys that haven't been in this environment and it's a big game. so. They let everybody go, check out the stadium, get the oohs and ahs out. And, you know, he had another speech then and said, okay, you've seen the stadium now, you know, pretty much, you know, let's just get ready to play the game tomorrow. And this was Coach Jerry Moore, uh, who was uh, a legend at at, uh, App State himself. And so you guys early on kind of hit him in the mouth, sort of described, what you remember as as you guys? I think it was it Dexter Jackson. Uh, you you yes. had some early success. Yes, their their defense alignment were obviously bigger than our offense alignment. So our game plan going into the game was you know quick throws, get the ball out quick to give our offense alignment a chance to hold up and be able to play four quarters. So we wanted to spread them out as we did and go quick games. You know five, six yard pops, we was happy with that. And, you know, fortunately fortunately for us, we had one of the fastest guys in the nation at receiver who can take a slant 80, 90 yards easy. And that's just what happened. Off to the races and going all the way to the end zone, the speedster Dexter Jackson. He was a Southern Conference 200-meter dash champion, and he ran away from the Michigan defense. Were you uh, in pain during that game with your shoulder? Um, Not at first. Um, I did take a a shot, so um, pretty much it was numb. Um, And at that moment in time, I wasn't getting hit or taking any hits on on my left shoulder. So it wasn't up until, I want to say, the first drive coming out of halftime when I got sacked and I fumbled. And I was thrown directly on my shoulder. So 
that um, hurt it even more, um, but adrenaline was still rushing. So I was able to manage and finish the game and, you know, just jumping ahead. But after that game, I suffered um, a, a crack. It, I think it was a crack bone with the AC joint spring. So I made it even worse. In the game, you mean yes. that's and you missed a couple of games, didn't you? Right after that, or um, I yes, like um, I miss. I want to say three, two or three games. I tried to come back early and re-injured it again um, against Walford and had to miss, you know, another game or two. So you were really playing hurt, uh, but the team was playing so well. I'm sure you just felt like you couldn't, you couldn't miss this opportunity, and so. The game goes back and forth. Uh, you guys, toward the end, kick a field goal to go up 34-32. Uh, and so I guess just sort of describe what you remember from the last, you know, five minutes of the game and everything that transpired after that. Yes, we had um, complications leading up to the, to the end of that, starting with the offense, you know, before we took the lead, you know, a lot of us, we wanted to go down and score. So, but um, our coach, uh, Coach Moore, he wanted to get in field goal range, kick a field goal and put it in the hands of the defense to to get the stop. So that was um, one of the, the conflicting moments we had. Um, it was a, a great drive that we had, um, the must drive. We got down there, we got the field goal, but it was still, you know, too much time on the clock. Right, kicked the down. field goal on yes. first down, I think, if I remember. Yeah, we, yeah, so it was a, a lot of commotion there. Mm-hmm. But um, again, what a lot of people didn't get to see is our practices with um, Jerome Touchstone and Corey Lynch when it comes to special teams and blocking field goals. They were so good at blocking them, I'm not exaggerating. They literally would run past our kicker and let them kick the field goal in practice. Really? Yeah, so we've seen uh, even games before that, seasons past, Corey Lynch um, blocking field goals. So that was something that wasn't, um, you know, um, shocking for us to see. And, you know, just being on the sidelines, uh, part of you has it in the back of your head that, you know, somebody's going to block it. But another part um, is saying that, man, we've already blocked one field goal what's the chances we block a second one this game? <laughs> so, right. yeah, so it was 50-50 at that moment. <laughs> yes. So, for those who don't remember, y'all scored, got up 34-32, but then they threw a long pass that yeah. somehow got caught. And so they're setting up for a, a game-winning field goal. And uh, on that play, uh, Lynch comes in from, I forget what side, but he comes in, comes in from the left side and, and blocks it. Let's listen to that. As it was called. It's already snaps good. The whole block. The, kicks oh! the kick is good. Oh! The Mountaineers are going to try to it's take it back to the big house. Of the big house. 20, 15, wow! The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. So the field goal gets blocked, Armani. Did you watch the play? Were you too nervous to watch? Describe what was going on on the sideline. I was watching the play. Um, Here's a funny moment at that time, though. Our biggest offensive lineman, Kerry Brown, he's like 6'7", 315, monster. Um, One of the best linemen um, I had the privilege to to be behind. 
and he's not a um, very spiritual guy. So, you know, when when we do the prayers or have our FC, um, S, uh, FCA meetings, um, you'll never see him there. And this is the one moment where he was literally on the bench kneeling, praying, <laughs> not looking at the play. So it wasn't funny in the time, but it was very funny once the game was over to to know that this guy that, that you've never seen pray, uh, he's a big monster out there. He's really down there praying. <laughs> he had found God. Yeah, 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 at that time. <laughs> in the big house. <laughs> yeah. But I was I watched it and um, you know, luckily um the the refs didn't throw a flat because I along with, you know, fifty other guys were on the field while Core was running the running the ball back. So mm, wow. Good snap, good hold. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Blocked by Corey Lynch. And so what was that plane ride home like? And then your uh, when you came back into Boone? It was uh, one of the most exciting but painful experiences I had. Because at that time, the cortisone shot, it wore off. The adrenaline is wore off. I'm in a sling and... You know, as much as I want to celebrate, I, I can't move my, my left shoulder. But, you know, I, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. You're, I guess you got the cortisone shot at halftime? Or was it after you got yeah, hurt in the I third took, quarter? Um, I took the cortisone shot before the game. Uh, and then once you got back to uh, Boone, the student reception was like, what? It's crazy. Um, it was the national championship games all over again. You know, once we came back from those games in Chattanooga, had a, a huge crowd out in front of the, um, the facility waiting to greet us, rocking the bus and everything. And we got the same exact experience again in Michigan. It was like three in the morning as well. So it, it, yeah, it was very late and. You know, fans out there just rocking the rocking the bus, mm-hmm. just just congratulating us. Now you grew up. Let's go back a little bit, but tell me about growing up in Greenwood and and what what that was like for Armani Edwards. Small town, only like twenty thirty thousand people. So, you know, the only thing to do there is play sports. But um, I come from a big family. Um, all together, I had five brothers, three sisters, but um, even outside of that, I have, can't even count, you know, eight to 10 uncles and aunts on both my sides, wow. um, mom and dad's side. And, but on my mom's side, um, we were a little closer because they always held family reunions mm-hmm. and everything. And in high school, if I remember, didn't you play some wide receiver before becoming a quarterback? People always get the story mixed up. Okay, so, straighten us out. Yeah, so it's actually the opposite. I always played quarterback. Ah, okay. So then up until um, my junior year, so the high school I went to was a prestigious high school. You know, a lot of great athletes that go D1. We had um, we had a legendary coach, uh, Shell Doula. You already knew once you got to high school, it was a waiting game. There was always somebody, you know, athletic or, you know, about to get a scholarship that's in front of you. So I always played quarterback going up into there. So my junior year, we had a quarterback that's already there, uh, Zarek Matthews, uh, very skillful. He played uh, quarterback, receiver, running back, defensive back. So 
Mm. That's the type of athlete he was. Um, also, he got a scholarship to Marshall. Mm. So he's the starting quarterback. So where do I go? Um, the, um, but fortunately, um, our coach, Coach Liner, our offensive coordinator, he understood that um, I was pretty athletic too. So he put me at receiver. And literally the first game, Zarek got hurt. So in halftime of the first game, I go back to quarterback. So I only played receiver for a short stint. And once um, he came back, he was healthy. We alternated every series. So when I played quarterback, he'd be at receiver or running back. And when he was at quarterback, I was at receiver. And that's the only time I played receiver. Oh, interesting. And that was your whole junior year? Yes. And then senior year, you were strictly quarterback. quarterback. How heavily or lightly recruited were you as a quarterback? Um, I wasn't recruited um, heavily because of my size. I think I was like 155, 160 pounds at that time. And what? how tall were you? 5'11", 5'10". Which is what you always were, right? Yes. Uh, Yes. But of course, you know, in high school, um, at this time, there's no social media. So for a college recruit to see the athlete, they got to come to the game. So on paper, I was six feet, 185 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yes. Because who knows any better? Yeah. So I did have um, D1 scouts coming. Uh, My Offensive coordinator, Chris Liner, he took care of all the scouting for me. So uh, I was very grateful for that. But, you know, I had South Carolina, the Clemsons, those guys come to the games. But once they saw me and I was undersized, they didn't want me as a quarterback. So instead of uh, Coach Liner informing me like, hey, we have Clemson here watching you. You know, he tell them no because they wanted me as a receiver or DB. So. Mm-hmm. I didn't get many scholarships uh, for that reason, because once the colleges saw me, they saw I was small, you know, in their eyes, they wanted to change my position. You weren't interested in switching positions? Um, It wasn't uh, that I wanted type of thing. Um, It was more of that he saw um, the potential I had as a quarterback. So instead of him even letting me know this, this school wants you you know, as a receiver, he just told them, no, he, he's a quarterback. So the only t- the only colleges who said we would give him a chance at quarterback, then him and um, Coach Dula would inform me, you know, this school's looking at you. And so what did that narrow it down to? How many schools would do that? Um, pretty much D1AA. Um, I had um, one D1 offer from New Mexico State as a quarterback. But um, again, um, D1AA, there's no social media at the time. So I'm very unfamiliar, you know, with these schools. But again, I'm grateful for Coach Dooley and Coach Liner because they handled pretty much all of our scouting. And um, uh, when it came to schools and it pretty much came down to Georgia Southern and Appalachian State. And a lot of people don't know, but I was originally going to commit to Georgia Southern. Really? Yes, but their coaches got fired. So once the coaches got fired, Appalachian State, you know, like a week later, called and wanted me to have a visit. And I loved the place um, up there, just the people around. Uh, Kevin Richardson, uh, our star running back, one of the first guys I met, and he was just so down to earth. And then uh, once I got back and had to talk with um, Coach Dula, he felt that that was the best fit for me to go there. So that's how I chose Appalachian State. 
were you raised mainly by your mom or who raised you mostly in Greenwood? Yes. So I stayed with my mom. Um, and on my mom's side, I have a older brother and older sister. So I'm the youngest on that side. But um, my dad was in my life. Uh, he's um, he's an older guy. He was born in the late 40s. So he's hardworking. Um, he owned his own brick contracting business and so I would go work with him in the summer. Um, long story ch- short, I got in trouble <laughs> as a kid and it was supposed to be my punishment, you know, to go out there in the hot sun, <laughs> no shade, yeah. summer gone, oh, got to go Carolina work for summers. free. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, my dad being the, the man he is, he paid me for it. So why won't I go out there? Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, it, it it was hard work going out there and everything, but I did more things with my dad as well. You know, he came to the games when he can make it. Um, he offered me to go to church. You know, as a kid, I didn't like going to church, but, you know, pretty much almost every Sunday after church, he'd come get me, take me out to eat, or we'd go up um, to Anderson or Greenville to the flea market and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I grew up with my mom, but my dad was there. And he is now incarcerated and and has been for many years. Uh, I'm sure that's one of the uh, difficult parts of your life. Was that while you were still in high school that he had to go to prison? Yes, that happened um, summer going into my senior year. Mm. You know, again, um, for people that know, um, that don't know what type of guy my dad is um, with his brick contracting um, business, he didn't take applications, you know, because most of the people that work for him, you know, had had problems. They either been to prison and stuff like that. But um, he hosted a card game every um, Sunday with his high school classmates. That's what he do. But, you know, even when my friends or family members on my mom's side, that not related to him wanting to come out and make extra money on the weekend. He let them come with me, you know, pay them. So that's the type of guy he was, but he loved playing cards. And unfortunately this time he, two guys that he's never, you know, played with or been around, he invited them to, to his home and, you know, they end up uh, wanting to rob him. So, and it led from there. Mm. And they, and so he's in prison now for, for murder. For a, a very long sentence, uh, have you, did you ever see him since he went to prison? Yes, you, yes. Yeah. Um, I would visit um, often, mm. pretty pretty much um, every chance I got to uh, come home because the first prison he was at, it was only like 30 minutes from my hometown, so right down the road. Um, so I would visit often. It was only once I went to Canada where I couldn't uh, visit as often as I wanted, but he called constantly. He's always calling. Um, I just talked to him maybe a week ago now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's and great. His name is Freddie? Yes, yeah. Freddie Edwards. So yeah. it's always great to hear his voice, but he's um, then COVID happened. So that pretty much messed up all the visitations um, for like, I want to say two years. They couldn't even have visitors. So I haven't seen them in about three, four years now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, and that's interesting, though, that you really did have a close relationship growing up. I, I had not known that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. 
Armani, your college career really was amazing. You won the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy for FCS schools twice, two different times. So I wonder if you, all the great moments you had there, if you could narrow it down. Let's take the Michigan game out of the equation because we just talked about that. But what? tell me one or two of your other very favorite moments, games, uh, times of your life while you were at App State. Um, I'm going to take the title games out as well. So obviously, okay. you know, can't can't top getting the ring. Um, yes. But um, I would say Richmond, what year was this? 2007 um, and Walford, probably the same year where we had, um, it was a Halloween game on ESPN too. So um, with the Walford game, um, they beat us after we beat Michigan at oh, their house. Right. Yes, and they stormed the field and everything. Uh, that's the game I re-injured my shoulder. Didn't get to play the second half. And we pretty much lost, you know, in the last minute. And, you know, they had the game won already, but they instead wanted to stick it to us and they scored again. Mm-hmm. So that that left a sour taste in our, in our mouths. And we just couldn't wait to play them. You know, and we had them for Halloween. Um, it was our blackout night. And we were on ESPN, too. We didn't get that often. Yeah, so that was a great feeling. And we hung up like 70 on them oh, that game. Nice. So, yeah. yes. Revengeful so sweep. Yes. And Richmond. Um, I think that was the game leading up to um, the championship. So, it was the game before that. And, you know, it was just a crazy atmosphere. What a night it's been. For Armonte Edwards, as we welcome you back to ESPN College Football Primetime, presented by Jack Link's Beef Jerky. 406 total yards and five touchdowns. Armonte Edwards is responsible for tonight, and he's back on the field. There or at Boone? Um, in Boone, in Boone. And that was one of my – well, that was my best uh, rushing game. Obviously, all the plays wasn't, wasn't runs, but, you know um, – yeah, I had um, over 300 rushing yards that game. Jeez. So it was That's one remarkable. Of, yeah, one of my favorites. When you played, did you prefer – like what was what was a bigger thrill for you, like rushing for a 50-yard touchdown or throwing a 50-yard touchdown? Um, more throwing because um, I was already – I was always comfortable running. You know, um, I would admit at the at early on in my career, you know, I, I missed pass reads and everything. I wasn't that – you know, um, efficient mind-wise. Um, I wasn't comfortable just yet with all the, the pass reads um, early on my freshman, sophomore year. So it was very comfortable for me to run. But me being who I was, I wanted to see, you know, my friends and other guys, you know, happy and get the ball as well. So it was more exciting for me when I was able to complete a deep back pass or just you know, get the ball uh, to one of the, the receivers that don't get to touch the ball as often and let them do what they can do as well. So you had that incredible college career, and then the Carolina Panthers drafted you in the third round, trading up to do so. Newton out of the shotgun, makes the handoff to Stewart. Newton fires downfield, and the catch is made by Armonte Edwards. And Edwards, with one man to beat, is knocked down by... So tell me, well, first of all, let's go to this. Do you do you feel like in the NFL that you never should have switched positions? Of course. Um, again, 
from from age six to leading up to my NFL career, I was the quarterback. Up until, you know, that junior year stint in high school, I always played quarterback. Um, it was second nature to me. It felt natural and I loved it and everything. And it's not that, um, it's not the fact that I had to switch. Um, I was old enough and mature enough to, to know what kind of, you know, size was needed prototypical quarterback uh, was needed at that time. So I already had a understanding that it's possible I won't be able to play the position. But at the same time, you know, I, I was told at times as well, and I thought it too, that I would at least get, you know, opportunities to do, you know, some Wildcat. You know, not once or twice a year, but, you know, have actual packages mm -hmm. for games, and that never happened. So... You know, that was a hard time for me as well. I bet, because that seems like would have been ideal. I mean, put you in. And that first year, if I remember, Cam wasn't even there yet. Uh, we had Matt Moore and Jimmy Clausen was in my draft class. So that's mm -hmm. with our two quarterbacks in. And we only won two games. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a good team. <laughs> yeah. That would have, they would have really benefited from some Armani Edwards uh, Wildcat. Uh, and you mentioned the prototypical size, of course. And and so in the NFL, you played at what weight, roughly? Um, in Carolina, I was 190. 190. Okay. Yes. And still about 5'11 or yes. whatever. That's not far off this size of, for instance, Bryce Young. You know, so it, it can be done, right? I mean, we see it being done now, but when I was drafted, Russell Wilson wasn't there yet. No, he's after me. So there was no – under six feet guy pretty much, you know. Drew Brees was the closest, but he's not 190 pounds as well. So it was, you know, highly unlikely at that time and, you know, it wasn't accepted. At, at Carolina then for those um, four years you were here, uh, how do you characterize that experience overall? That was the darkest time in my football career, mm -hmm. uh, Carolina. And I'm going to start from the beginning because it did have bright spots um, towards the end. Um, but at the beginning, you know, I'm not going to throw any names out there, but I had a guy um, that I looked up to on the team. Uh, he knows a lot, ins and outs, and he told me, you know, only reason they brought me in was to sell tickets because I'm from App. So, you know, I didn't understand it at the time. Um, went over my head at the time, but – you know, as the season go on and I'm not even getting the opportunity to play and we're losing, you know, you start to see it. Um, then, you know, you start to hear that, you know, the coach didn't even want to draft you, the coach we had at that time. So, um, again, you're trying to figure out why I'm not playing, not getting the opportunity. I'm not um, – I felt like I wasn't even getting the help I needed to, you know, be a returner, yet alone learn how to play receiver um, because I um, – I did play baseball growing up, but I was always infield, first base, third base pitcher. So, you know, I never played outfield. So they always said, you know, catching, catching punts and kickoffs, just like catching the ball in the outfield. And I tell them I never played outfield. So you have to teach me. And what people don't know in, um, in the NFL, special teams doesn't get a lot of practice. A lot of the practice is geared towards offense and defense, and you'll have literally, you know, 10 minutes of special teams, and it's different special teams for each day. So literally once a week, <laughs> I get an opportunity at punt return. 
and only like one live. And when I say live, that means I catch it, I see defenders coming down, and I get to run at them only once or twice. So I wasn't getting practice. And a lot of people don't realize I only dropped one punt in my career. And that one punt I dropped was in preseason, my rookie year, with when the coaches didn't put me back in until what? Um, Atlanta, the second time we played Atlanta, uh, the, the B punt return again. So, no, it was a lot of hardships, a lot of dark times. Um, and uh, once uh, Coach Rivera got there, um, he felt genuine. Um, I liked him. He, it felt like he liked me, which he did. Um, I didn't know at the time, but as it got um, years in, um, you know, he was really trying to look out for me. Um, got my opportunity to play punt return, but again, um, I'm not getting uh, the practice, so I'm not, you know, really getting anywhere. My second year, then my third year, they draft another receiver, and Coach Rivera informed me, he said, if you're going to make the team, it's going to be at receiver because we got another guy that's going to play punt return. Mm -hmm. So trying to focus at receiver, but um, this is the first year where I'm actually learning how to play receiver. So before that, um, no disrespect to the receiver coaches, but they didn't help me. You know, they really just – went and coached the guys they knew they were going to play. Yeah, so I didn't get any help. And the only time, the, well, not the only time, but the first time I started getting help was when Ricky Pro got there as the um, assistant receiver coach. So he actually took his time outside of practice, in practice, to actually coach me, teach me technique and everything. So that was the first time where I actually started the grass you know, learning how to play receiver. And then uh, when I really started feeling comfortable my fourth year and Coach Rivera deemed me the most improved player in camp, uh, he was excited. Um, I got hurt, um, had a hamstring problem. Oh, so I didn't get to play in the final preseason game, which would have been a, a big game for me going into the season because I, uh, I was competing with Ted Ginn and Dominique Hickson at that time for the third receiver spot. Oh, right. This was 2013. Yes, mm -hmm. and I didn't get to play that game. Um, mm -hmm. And at this time, we got a new GM, and that new GM brought in those exact two guys that I named. So, you know, if you understand the business where you already know who he wants to play. And once I got hurt um, and Ted had an awesome fourth preseason game, you know, he, he, get, he gets the spot, but – you know, um, Coach Rivera and Ricky Pro sat me down and told me, don't worry about it. You're going to make the team. You you made a great strides, you know, not those exact words, but they pretty much told me I was going to be on the team. They was going to put in packages for me, and they looked forward to seeing me strive uh, for this season. And we started off one and four. And in those, what, five games, uh, Ricky Pro told me, hey, I'm going to ease you back in. Because if I'm mistaken, again, not those exact words, he's had hamstring uh, once or twice. So he understood, you know, the complexity of it. So he's trying to ease me back in, play here and there. And once I was fully recovered, that's when he was going to throw me in. And literally after, I want to say it was Buffalo, we lost to. <laughs> on the day off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it kind of sucks. I got released on my day off, but you know, I got the call, said um, I was getting released. And once I went up there and 
talked to the coaches, offensive coordinator, Ricky Pro. No, they had no idea that I was getting released. Do you think it was a Dave Gettleman decision? Uh, It was 100% his decision. Um, Ricky told me himself that he had no idea. Um, When I talked to the OC for the five minutes, he said he was literally drawing up plays for me. So, yeah, he said they pretty much said they was in there drawing up plays and Gettleman just stuck his head in and said, hey, I'm releasing our money and left. How did you handle that? That you had succeeded for for so long in football, and it had been your, I would assume, a very major part of your life for many, many years. So, what did you do next? Um, I didn't handle it handle it well um, for the simple fact for the reason I was given for the release. You know, um, I'm a man first. We're all men in the business, so I was looking for you know just to give me. You know the straight up answer. You know if you tell me, hey, you're you're not panning out to what we expected. You know we want to give other guys tries, stuff like that. I can handle that. But you know during this time, uh, my aunt passed during camp, so he she was like the head of um, our that family. She held the pieces together. Um, she was um she was the closest sister at that time to my mom. So that was devastating for her and everything. But this time I'm hurt as well, so I'm not practicing. And I asked, could I go to the funeral? They let me go because I'm I'm not practicing. I went to the funeral and everything. You know how that goes. I come back. I'm still not practicing. And I'm easing myself in. But, you know, to skip past that, the reason that I got from Gettleman was I was never the same after my aunt died. So that's what he told me to my face. Really? Yeah, so... After after you were released? Yes, so that left a sour taste in my mouth. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. And then you had a brief uh, time with uh, two other teams in the NFL, right? Yes, um, three weeks later, I was picked up by Cleveland, um... Um, our former offensive coordinator, Shazesti, um, he was there with the Browns, so, you know, gave me an opportunity. But again, they're putting me back at punt return now. So, mind you, for the past two years, I haven't played punt return. I was only focused on receiver because that's what they told me I, how I was going to make the team. So now <laughs> they put me back. back at punt return oh yeah. and <laughs> only got to play two games. Um, I. Uh, grade two or grade three sprained my ankle um, lateral and um, on the outside so I was in a walking boot mm-hmm. pretty much placed on IR and obviously released um, after that so never got to have that opportunity again and then I was um, assigned to the Bears um, for in that offseason and you know, it was just it, that was just that you know you can pretty much see they already had their guys um you know, I already had Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffers, uh, Jeffries. So that's that's how it ended. Mm. So were you mad at football at that point in your life, or did you did you stop watching football? Yeah, it was all of it. I stopped watching. I didn't watch the NFL that year, and I pretty much, you know, hung up my cleats. I wasn't going to play again. I told my agent, you know, I'm I'm done. Don't don't throw my name in the hat anymore. It's over. You know, and uh, for 
that entire year, 2014, um, I didn't watch football. In 2015, come around, I get a call um, from a GM in Canada and he wanted to um, sign me and give me an opportunity to play quarterback up there. But now by this time, I'm five years, six years out of playing quarterback. So now in my head, um, I already you know, see the news articles. We have social media and I see what people are saying. Like, no, I'm a, if I'm going to go back to playing football, then I'm gonna play receiver because I got something to prove to myself and I got something to prove to the naysayers that say I couldn't do it and then pan out. But I said, no, I turned it down because at that time I still wasn't fully you know, motivated to play. But then I want to say, you know, a couple of months later, my wife showed our son who at this time is 2015, he's four. So he's four at this time. Show Ryan him, Jr. yeah, show him college highlights of, of me. And I just saw, you know, how he lit up because he didn't get to see me play, you know, in the NFL pretty much. And I just saw his eyes lit up and that's what pretty much sparked that fire for me to to um, go back to football. So, you know, um, I got another call from, from Canada the following year and I took it. And you were a wide receiver there, had a thousand yard season, uh, won the Grey Cup. Sort of explain what the Grey Cup is and who you won that with. And the 2017 Grey Cup game goes to Ricky Ray and the Toronto Argonauts. All right, so the Grey Cup is the equivalent of the Super Bowl for the CFL, and that was my second year. And it's crazy how life works because uh, the very head coach that cut me in Chicago is my head coach in Toronto, oh. Coach Tressman. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah. Mark Tressman? Yes, that, Mark yeah. Tressman. Uh, He's yeah. the coach up there. So, uh, you know, great guy, great guy. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it, it was awesome. Um, my first year in, in Canada, though, wasn't too well as, as I got hurt again. So I only got to play like three, four games that year. I got hurt in the off season, um, MCL. Mm-hmm. And once I came back from my MCL, I broke my hand in the game. So, yeah, so you can only imagine, you know what I'm thinking at that time, like, here we go again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I'm going into my second year. I'm not in Toronto yet. I'm still in Saskatchewan. So that was my first team. The first day of camp, they trade me. They trade me to Toronto. So I'm going blank again with the names. But the GM. Jim Pop, I think it was. He's he's from around here. Yes, Jim Pop. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Jim Pop was the um, GM who called me in Montreal. And Jim Pop is now the GM in Toronto. He always wanted you. Yes. He told me that. So he traded for me. And. You know, it, it went from there. Um, I didn't get my thousand yards that season. I was short. I was at like nine seventy eight or something. Uh-huh. But you know, we won the Grey Cup. You know, I, it was a great experience for me. Uh, a lot of great guys, and I got to play with uh, one of the quarterbacks. He's equivalent to Tom Brady up there, uh, Ricky Ray. He's um great guy. Played for a long time. What four or five Grey Cups? Two with two with each team. The Canadian Tom Brady. 100 yards, Ricky Ray to DeVere Posey. 
How did a guy from South Carolina do in that Canadian cold? I was used to it, you know, going to Appalachian State yeah. in the mountains. And so you played there how many years, and, and when did it finally end? So including COVID year, so I played six years. That's a lot. There. Wow, more than so way more than in the NFL. I mean, yes. years-wise and everything. Yes. So you would overall characterize that as a as a good experience? Yes, I was. I was very happy with um, you know leaving the game after you know that I I got a ring. That's what I wanted. I proved to myself I can play receiver. I was over 900 yards three straight uh, seasons wow. uh, receiver, and one of those seasons I cracked a thousand yards finally. So. No, I, I I didn't at that time I was done. No, I didn't have anything to prove to nobody but myself. And my son got to see me play football, so I hit all of it on the head. That's great. And I remember, and uh, one of the things that you I know didn't like when you were with the Panthers, you had a couple of very long plays, but they didn't end up as scoring. So you didn't score an official NFL touchdown. Yeah, no. So in Canada. Isn't it true that once you scored, like you just put a massive spike on the ball or something the yes, first time? Yes, it was getting the monkey off my back. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, will I ever get in the end zone again? Mm-hmm. Will I ever get a professional touchdown? And once it happened, it was just a, a huge relief for me. So that from there on, I could just, just play and have fun. First down, Bethel Thompson throws wide open, touchdown! Armani Edwards and the Argos are on the board first. 33-yard touchdown. So what are you doing as a career now, Armani? Uh, I've been uh, trading Forex. Um, I've been learning for past three years now, but at the same time, I was still focused. My main focus was football, so I couldn't put in the, the time and effort that I really wanted to. And that's sort of like, for people who don't know, that's sort of like day trading stocks or what is that exactly? Yeah, so it's equivalent to stocks. Um, you can argue that it's much better to trade uh, than trading stocks uh, for the very reason the market is 24 hours and you can sell. So you're not just sitting there, buy, buy, buy. So you can make money when price is coming down. You can make money when price is going up. But pretty much all you're doing is trading one country's currency for another. And you look like, uh, our audience can't see you, but you look like you're still in good shape. How how health-wise are you? Um, I still get you know, aches and pains from it, but um, I try to stay in a little bit of shape. Um, I don't do any extreme running or, matter of fact, I don't run at all. I haven't ran in over a year, but I, mm-hmm. I still, uh, still do a little bit of working out. And also, I work the kids out, so they... Keep me, keep me going and motivated as well. You don't have any problem with your own son playing football, tackle football when he chooses to. Oh, not at all. Um, uh, me and my wife, we're we're not the parents to to make them do something we want to do. So if it's something they really want to do, we're gonna support it one hundred percent. Our job is just to guide them and make sure they have to the best path that they possibly can. So he's not playing tackle at the moment. Um, well, we're not comfortable with that, um, not because we don't think he's capable. He's shown he's very capable at playing football, just the simple fact that he's not mature enough mind-wise, along with other kids his age, to learn how to take their head out of tackling. Mm-hmm. Or if they're trying to run somebody over, you know, they're going to use their head instead. So 
we want to protect his brain at all costs. But yes, um, as he get older and definitely once he get in high school, he'll be in, in tackle football. Nice. Did you have any concussions in your career? If I did, they wouldn't report it. So mm-hmm. I definitely know I had a couple rings and where I didn't remember, you know, for you know, a couple of minutes, you know, couldn't even think of a play in time. So I'm 100% sure I've had concussions, but um, I've never had one reported. How did you get along with Cam Newton and what was that like being in, in the locker room with him while he was in his prime? Cam is a he's a great guy. Um, a lot of people see, you know, all the showboating, but he's a funny guy. He's he's him. Uh, the showboating they see when he's scoring or getting the first down, that's him off the field as well. He he just a he's a big big kid, big personality for sure. Yeah. Did he give you a nickname? I know he did that to a lot of folks. Uh, the silent assassin. That's what he called me. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't do much talking, but you know, he along with the uh, coach Rivera and the other coaches, he saw a, a massive improvement from my third year to my fourth year, and he started calling me uh, the silent assassin. So that's a good one. I bet Boone people would have liked that if they could have thought of it back in back in the day. Well, Armani Edwards, this has just been uh, terrific. I've learned so much about you, and and I know that so many App State fans and football fans in general are going to be so happy you did this. Uh, We thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's Armani Edwards. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Remember, you'll find much more about this interview and about all of our guests, including Steph Curry, Roy Williams, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Don Staley in our Sports Legends book. It's scheduled to be published in fall of 2023. Pre-order your copy now at sportslegendsbook.com. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, a production of the Charlotte Observer. This show is produced by Lou May Ali Sally, Jeff Siner, and Cotta Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver, and the executive editor is Raina Cash. Davin Coburn is McClatchy's director of audio. For lots more sports content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com and consider a digital subscription. And connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. See you next time.